They detract him from Jesus. They actually take away from his confidence in Jesus. He's saying those things are a loss, those things that I accomplished. Why would Paul say something like that? Why would Paul say those things that I did were loss? I believe it's because they build his confidence in himself. He's saying this, this, this. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I grew up as a Pharisee, as a zeal, as a persecutor of the enemy of the church. Right? I mean, of the, of the Jewish culture. I was doing all those things. But they were loss for the sake of Christ. They're nothing. Christian, the things that we have accomplished on our own, where we can brag on ourselves, we, we think we can brag on ourselves, those are lost. That is nothing compared to Jesus. It's knowing Him. It says, all those things that were gained to me, I've counted as lost. They detracted from Jesus. Verse 8. More than that, he's saying, not only those things that I did that I accomplished, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All things. Paul's saying, my career, my money, anything I have, all those things. If Jesus is not first, if I don't get to know Jesus, they are worthless. They are nothing. They are loss. I love my wife. I would die for my wife. I would do anything for my wife. But if she takes first place in my life, and my life is not built around Jesus, but on her, then that's a loss. Then my life is being wasted if it's not built around Jesus. Paul says, I've counted all things as lost. So the surpassing value of, look at that word, knowing Christ Jesus. This is an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus that we get to know Him, who He is. Not just what He's done. We don't just read about what He has done. But we know Him from the bottom of our hearts. We know this is Jesus. This is how glorious and how awesome He is. It's done by spending time with Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Asking God to reveal Jesus to us through His Word. Doing the work of Jesus. Being on mission with Jesus. Till we know Him. Let's go on. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Why would Paul say, I have suffered the loss of all things? He, he, he almost seems like he's contradicting himself. He says, I count all those things as lost, but now he's saying, now I've suffered through the loss of all those things. Our flesh so badly wants to hold on to the things that this world counts as valuable. That it's a suffering process. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong process to say I've counted all things of loss in comparison to knowing Jesus, but my flesh wants these things. Right? That's, that's ultimately the question of sin. When we sin, we're saying, Jesus, I love you, but at this moment, this thing satisfies me more. That's ultimately the question of our hearts. What do our hearts follow? What do we believe our hearts uh, uh, will satisfy us at that moment? Are we found in eternal satisfaction in Jesus, or do we find momentary satisfaction in worldly pleasures, in sin? And obviously our hearts are fickle, and, and we run and cling to these things. So Paul's saying it's a suffering process that I go through. I suffer through that, to the loss of all things. In the end of verse 8, and count them but rubbish, 
so that I may gain Christ. This rubbish here is not just the, the English translation of that. Used a very nice word there, rubbish. Um, if there was ever a time in the Bible where Paul would have come close to cussing, it would have been here. Right? The Greek word for that is a very harsh word for dung or poop. Right? It's a, it's a harsh word. In other words, Paul is saying, it's, those things are nothing. They're dung or poop in comparison to Jesus. I count them that rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He uses these, these accounting terms here, loss and gain. Jesus, he sees as his ultimate gain, as his ultimate pleasure. That's ultimately the question that Paul started out with. Rejoice in the Lord. How do we do that? It's when our hearts have been changed and we see Jesus as my ultimate prize, my ultimate goal in life is to get to know him, to glorify him, to be on mission with him. Is Jesus our highest satisfaction? We can ask ask yourself these questions. What do we spend the most time on and what do we spend our most money on? Where we spend our time and our money often reflects what is our highest goal in life. That's often ourselves. It's something we all struggle with. But if Jesus is to take rule and reign over our hearts, we say, Jesus, all those other things are loss, are rubbish, are dung in comparison to you. Let me know you more. Verse 9, and may be found in him. We would gain Christ and be found in him. I love the words of the song we sang, my name is written on his heart. We found in Jesus, Christian. Is that what our identity is built on? Is your identity built on your career or your money or your family or what you can do, what you have accomplished, a degree What is our identity found in? Paul is saying, my identity is totally built on Jesus. I may be found in him. Christian, that is where we find identity. My identity is in what Jesus says about me. It's in what he has done for me, what he thinks about me. That he loves me enough to die and pay for my sin so that God can look on me and see Jesus, and see his faultless, blameless son who took my place. That's what Paul says. That is my greatest goal, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, Paul's saying, again, he's just reiterating that. I don't want to have a righteousness that's built on what I have done or what I have accomplished. On how often I go to church. On how often I raise my hands or how often I read the Bible. right? Or how uh, good morally I can be. Saying that's not the righteousness that Jesus brings. That's not what it's built on. That is lost. That's nothing that we would be found in that righteousness. That we would be found in Him and not take pride in what we have done. Hold your fingers there in Philippians 3. We're going to come back to that. We're going to uh, skip over to Luke 18. 
This is one of my favorite parables that Jesus told. The parable, Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Again, a Pharisee was seen as this uh, this uh, man in a high position, this religious man right, that knew the, the law and knew God, and he was so great and awesome, right? He was seen as this, and a tax collector was hated in that time. Uh, kind of like the IRS today, but times ten, right? These, were, these guys were thieves, and they would take from us. Take from the people back then. And uh, so there's two people, and they go into the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee probably comes in the temple, blowing a trumpet, announcing that he's going to pray, right? Wearing, uh, dressed in these immaculate robes praying out loud so that others can see him and see how great he is. And his righteousness is built completely on himself. He says, I thank you that I'm so awesome, that I'm great, that I'm not like these sinners here. And look at the tax collector's prayer. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? That's what our life is like before we surrender to Jesus. We're that tax collector. Right? And that's how we should come to, to God at all times. Jesus, forgive me, the sinner. Forgive me. And that is an awesome picture of what it's like to come to Christ. But here's the unfortunate part of when we get involved in church. If we uh, do not guard our hearts and do not focus on Jesus and make Him the center of our lives, we are often, and I find myself at times, being a reflection of that Pharisee. I find myself at times being that judgmental Pharisee Finding my righteousness in myself, and it usually takes God breaking me down, saying, Zach, remember who saved you, who died for you, who sustains you. Again, what do we rejoice in? What is our highest good? What is our highest goal? What is our highest joy? Is it ourselves or is it Jesus? It's the question of life. It's the question, uh, the question of our Christian walk. What is our life built upon? The mission of ourselves or the mission of Jesus. Let's go on to verse 10. That I may know him. Again, Paul's just reiterating that knowing Jesus. Do we want to know him on a deep, intimate, personal level? I want to. I want to know Jesus more. Again, that, that, as I prayed in the beginning, I want to walk out of this building loving Jesus more than I did when I came in. I want to enter my daily devotion time with Jesus, or every time I open his word, every time I spend time in prayer with him, falling more and more in love with Jesus. As he loves me perfectly, I want to fall more in love with him. 
Paul says, says that here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We don't often enough focus on the power of God's resurrection, right? We, we think about that maybe on Easter. But how awesome the battle he had with Satan, sin, and death, and he conquered the gates of hell for our good, on our behalf, to show us his grace and his glory, to glorify the Father. That is good. That is powerful. And we should worship him for that. The power of his righteousness. And look at this next line that he says that we, especially as American Christians, do not often enough like to focus on or think about. So we're going to stay on this point for a little bit. And the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. Here's the problem with so much of the false gospel that is preached to us throughout the world, that we hear the false gospel of prosperity and these other gospels that tell us that if you just serve God or do right or do good, that everything will go your way. You'll have the, the success of your dreams, the career of your dreams. You will not have these sufferings and pain that other people have. But here's the reality of the gospel. What Paul says here, he says, I want to know Jesus in his sufferings. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Christian, do we suffer well? Do we want to know? Paul is basically praying, Jesus, let me suffer for you, that I would know you more. Do we want to know Jesus in his sufferings? I love the way C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, we can ignore even pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis is saying here that God often uses pain to wake us up to him. That we would fall more in love with him. That we would realize it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about what I can do and how comfortable I can be. We like to sit and be comfortable in our comfort zone and never do anything more than just maybe open up our Bibles once a day and pray and come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Meanwhile, we're reading about the lives of men who lived and died for Jesus. We're reading about men like Peter who was hung upside down on a cross. We're reading about men like Bartholomew who was sawed in half for the gospel. We were reading about men like Paul who was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and eventually beheaded for the sake of the gospel. We read about all these men through history who suffered and yet we still at times have the audacity to think, God's going to keep me from that. I don't need to know Jesus in his sufferings. I don't need to know Jesus in pain. Right? I hope he keeps me from that. I want to live comfortably in my free nation, in my, uh, uh, my house that I own, on my couch that I own. We too often live in that comfortable world. Look at, take this from Job. Look what Job says at the end of his book in verse 42. Don't, you don't have to turn there. But Job 42, verse 5. This is after, if you don't know the story of Job, Job, uh, basically, God handed the reins of Job's life over to Satan. And Satan was allowed to do anything to Job except kill him. 
And all of Job's children died. And all of Job's riches were taken away. He lost everything. His wife was not supportive at all. Told him to just curse God and die. Job was stricken with illness and disease and all kinds of pain. And at the end of this, on the other side, after Job has gone through all of this heartache and hardship and pain, this is what he says in verse 42, chapter 42, verse 5. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. In other words, before my suffering, I knew who you were, God. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I knew that you were this good and glorious God. But now my eye sees you. Talking about the eye of his heart. He says, before I knew you, God, yes, I knew of you. But now that I have suffered with you and I've gone through this pain with you, the eye of my heart sees you for all that you are. It sees your goodness and your gloriousness and your awesomeness. My eye sees you. When we go through pain, we see how good and how great Jesus truly is. The times when I have most felt the preciousness and the sweetness of Jesus is when I have gone through difficult times. And when I have gone through the times of, God, what are you doing? And we get to the other side and we think, Jesus, thank you. What you did within me was so much more important than what was going on outside of me. God often uses the hardest, most difficult times outside of us to make our hearts burn for Him and to make us more like Him so that we would focus completely on His mission and His glory. That He would purify us and make us more and more and more like Him. I love the way John Piper says it. He says, The people who write most deeply and sweetly about the preciousness of Jesus are people who have suffered with Him deeply. People who have gone through those times with Jesus are the ones who have experienced the preciousness and sweetness of Jesus. Why, we may ask ourselves, do we not find Jesus as beautiful and sweet? And why do we not take time to rejoice in Him? It's often because we have not suffered with Him. It's oftentimes because when we have gone through those times of suffering, we have thought, God, why get me out of this? What are you doing? Instead, God is doing something within our hearts. And our prayer, rather than, God, what are you doing? Our prayer should be, God, I trust your perfect sovereign plan. Show me what you're doing within me. Change me. Make me. Melt me. Mold me to become more like you. That I would be passionate about your mission and your glory. In verse 11, we'll go on in Philippians 3. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. How did Paul go through that suffering, that pain? His focus was never on that. Right? His focus was on the end result. Not just being resurrected from the dead. Not just heaven. But that he would spend an eternity at Jesus' feet. Worshipping him. That this world was not his home. His focus was not the momentary pain. He saw that as momentary and light in comparison to the cross. That he would get a lifetime here on earth of walking with Jesus and then eventually an eternity knowing Jesus in full. Christian, we get just a glimpse of Jesus' glory here on earth. And we can rejoice in that and live for that because we know that forever and ever we will get to see him in his full glory. And worship Him in that. 
That is good news for us. I, I think one of my favorite stories throughout church history, besides obviously Jesus dying on the cross and rising for us, uh, one of my favorite stories is about two Moravian missionaries in 1734 by the name of John Dober and David Nitchman. And uh, they were these uh, part of the Moravian church, and they were two young men that heard about an island by the name of St. Thomas, this island called St. Thomas, where this man uh, owned fields, and he had about two to 3,000 slaves that he had uh, taken these men, from, men and women from Africa and brought them onto the island of St. Thomas in the West Indies. And this man was uh, very vocal, and he would brag about how those, those slaves of his would never hear the gospel. And that how even if a missionary or a preacher were to be shipwrecked on the island, he would keep them in containment until someone came to pick them up. Right? And the slave owner was, was adamant that they would never hear the gospel. He was completely against Christ. So John Dober and David Nitchman heard about this island, and they had pity for these two to 3,000 slaves that were on this island that they knew would never hear the gospel. So they, they thought and they searched for ways that they would be able to go to this island and preach, and all those ways were shut down. And they realized there was one way to go to that island, and that was to sell themselves into slavery. And that's what they did. John Dober and David Nitchman sold themselves to this slave owner, and they used that money that they got to fund their passage to the West Indies to go to the island of St. Thomas. They sold themselves into a lifetime knowing that they would never be free again, knowing that they would never see their family and their friends again. They sold themselves to go to this island, and as they were on the ship, and as the ship was sailing off, and they had their loved ones and their friends standing on the shore crying over them, they linked arms. And the call that they called out became the call of the Moravians. They said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his offering, of his suffering. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In other words, they didn't see their suffering and their pain as anything in comparison to what Christ did for us. And they said, our lives are just an offering being poured out for Jesus because their focus was not on the momentary light affliction that they were going through. Their focus was on eternity. Their focus was on Jesus. They saw Jesus as their ultimate goal, as Jesus as their ultimate prize. That's why they could do something like that, to sell themselves to a life of slavery, to preach Jesus to two to 3,000 men and women who otherwise would never have heard of the gospel. Where's our focus, Christian? Is it on this world? Is it on the goodness of this world? Or is it on the light momentary affliction of this world? Or is it on Jesus? Jesus is our ultimate goal. Jesus is our ultimate prize. Even heaven itself, I, I want to go there desperately, but that itself is not my ultimate prize. Jesus is. The fact that Jesus will be there, and I get to worship at his feet for an eternity. I look forward to that day. And here on this earth, Christian, as we see a glimpse of his glory, we can rejoice in him. And we can go through suffering, counting all things as loss in comparison to knowing Christ. So as uh, Matt and Brian both, both come up here, I guess we're going to have a time of uh, invitation. And Matt's going to be down here.
and he's going to be uh, here to pray with anybody who wants to come and pray. Uh, first off, obviously, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you are so welcome to do that today and see the goodness and gloriousness and joy that I've been talking about. Second of all, if you find yourself like I do often, find myself focusing on my righteousness, on what I can do, and focusing on the things of this world, and you need prayer about that, I encourage you, come and pray with Matt. Come up here and pray. Pray in your seats, wherever you uh, wish. Focus on his joy. Focus on his glory. On Jesus. Is your life built on him? We all need that prayer at times. We all need to say, Jesus, I need more of you. Change my heart. Make me more like you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we leave here today, God, that we would go out again loving you more, Jesus, rejoicing in you, focusing completely on you, and that you would be the greatest good in each and every one of our lives. God, that we would love you more. I pray that anyone in here who has not had faith in you, Jesus, who has not surrendered their lives to you, that they would do so. You would convict their hearts, Holy Spirit. God, convict us. Make us more like you. God, that we would desire you, Jesus, and you would be our ultimate good and would be able to say, all things are lost, are rubbish, are dung in comparison to knowing you, Jesus. We want to know you more. Make us more like you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.